The New York Attorney General makes the announcement, but not the announcement that everybody is hoping that it is. Joe Biden messes up once again. Portland rioters move out to the suburbs in the absence of federal troops, and they may be putting something in your water, but unfortunately not the good stuff. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning and welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. we got a bunch to get to today. It was kind of a slow news week, I'm not going to lie, and I was able to throw some general interest things in there as well, but we do have a bunch to get to. We're definitely going to see an hour show today, and we will read the names and thank everybody who chatted in the live chat today. So if you have been watching throughout the week, but you haven't got your message in yet, get your message in before the end of this show because I want to read your name on the air and thank you for the fact that you took the time to come and watch my live but before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We have got my shows. We've got The Daily Ignoramus, The Generational Gap. We also carry the archives for The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The R-Rated Conservative. So come on over and check us out. Pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. All right, speaking of money, we'll start by looking over at the Dow here. So it looks like we had a little bit of a dip there, but once again climbing up here, and some of that's going to be attributed to inflation, and some of it's going to be attributed to economic policy recovery. I mean, we just had a 37% shrinkage of the economy, but the Dow is still going forward, so people's retirements are still going through. So there's always a plus side up off of this. Let's have a look at what the investors have to say for the morning here from IBD first off. Dow Jones futures fall, Apple Facebook soar, but these clouds loom over the stock market rally from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures fell modestly early Friday along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures amid U.S.-China tensions ahead of the uh, July jobs report. The coronavirus stock market rally had a solid overall session on Thursday as Apple, Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Salesforce.com, and Adobe all had solid gains or strong gains with many of these big caps in or near buy zones. But Fastly triggered a cloud software retreat including Datadog, Alteryx. Datadog stock and Alteryx stock plunged late on uh, results and guidance like Fastly stock. These three cloud leaders beat views all except AYX stock raised guidance but likely FSLY stock investors may have been expecting more. Cloudflare stock fell slightly early Friday after retreating modestly Thursday. Cloudflare also beat views and raised guidance. Apple stock is closing on a $2 trillion valuation. Facebook stock and Salesforce stock surged and are at the edge of buy zones. Google stock is rebounding bullishly from key support. Adobe stock, Microsoft stock, and Amazon stock are all near buy points and are arguably already actionable. Still, with the NASDAQ composite starting to look extended again and a leading group unable to meet sky-high expectations, the sun may be shining on the coronavirus stock market rally, but there are clouds on the horizon. In other news, the FDA-approved Biogen, Alzheimer's drug, uh, Edukenibab, I have no idea what that word is. From Priority Review, Biogen stock jumped. Well, hey, if they've got an Alzheimer's drug, maybe they can shove Joe Biden through. Maybe they can make a president out of a demented man. Who knows? 
Apple stock, Amazon stock, Microsoft stock, and Adobe stock are all on the IBD leaderboard. So is Net stock, Amazon stock, and Microsoft stock are on Swing Trader. Microsoft stock and Adobe stock are IBD long-term leaders. Google stock and CRM, excuse me, CRM stock are on the long-term leaders watch list. Microsoft and Adobe stock are on the IBD 50 list. As for the futures, Dow Jones futures fell 0.6% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures slid 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures retreated 0.4%. The thing that gets me the most and actually gives me the biggest kick out of reading the stock news every morning, other than the fact that we can actually get a little bit of a gauge on where the economy may seem to be going, is all the different words, all the different synonyms they have for backing off or going forward. Fell, slid, retreated. It's fun to read. President Trump late Thursday said he signed an EO holding all U.S. transactions with TikTok owner ByteDance and WeChat operator Tencent. After 45 days, widening his actions versus Chinese social media. Trump has said he'll ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. unless it's sold, possibly to Microsoft. Tencent stock, which trades over-the-counter in the U.S., fell sharply in Hong Kong. Alibaba and other Chinese internet stocks were pointed lower early Friday. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, which was about 10 minutes ago, the Labor Department will report the July employment report. On Thursday, Labor reported weekly jobless claims fell to the lowest level since March. Remember, overnight action in Dow Futures, Datadog stock, and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. So we've got some ups, we've got some downs here. It looks like making a trade war with China actually may push us down a little bit here. Like I said, I don't believe in putting TikTok on my phone. But I do believe that you should be free to decide your own risk level. The same with the coronavirus. I don't know. It comes down to individuality, and the government has no place in doing anything about that here. But let's keep going. From CNBC, Dow futures fall 100 points amid Trump's executive order on Chinese apps. Virus stimulus talks from Eustace Wang and Yun Li. Futures tied to major U.S. equity averages fell on Friday after an executive order from President Trump raised tensions further with China. Investors were also eyeing virus stimulus talks in Washington and big jobs report due on Friday. The Dow Industrial Average futures lost 104 points or 4.0%. The move implied a drop of more than 120 points at open. S&P 500 futures lost 0.3%. NASDAQ 100 futures shed 0.4%. The overnight moves came after President Trump on Thursday issued executive orders to address the threat posed by Chinese apps TikTok and WeChat. As part of the order, any transaction with ByteDance and Tencent, the parent companies of TikTok and WeChat respectively, will be barred in 45 days. It comes as tensions between Washington and Beijing continue to escalate over several issues, including the origins of the coronavirus and democracy in Hong Kong. Meanwhile, investors are watching closely for the upcoming monthly jobs report due at 8.30 Eastern Time on Friday. It is widely expected that the labor market's rebound has slowed down amid a spike of coronavirus cases across the U.S. Economists predicted that the economy gained 1.48 million jobs in July, down sharply from the 4.8 million new payrolls in June. According to Dow Jones, the jobless rate is expected to dip to 10.6% in July from 11.1%. 
But it's not going to go any further than that because several governors across the country have said, thou shalt not go to work. We will shut down again and again and again until you vote the right way. Oh, I mean, until we defeat this virus and you get the vaccine and your radio transmitter chip. Oh, I mean, until the virus is eradicated. Tomorrow's employment report should provide a little more clarity on whether or not businesses are starting to hire again, or if there is continued trepidation due to COVID, said Brian Price, head of investment management at Commonwealth Financial Network. If the number of surprises on... Uh, or if the number of surprises on the downside in unemployment doesn't dip below 11%, then we could see a market pullback on the news. The jobs data will come as lawmakers in the White House struggle to agree on a new stimulus package after a $600 per week enhanced federal unemployment benefit expired at the end of July. The Trump administration has threatened to pull out of talks and try to address jobless benefits and the eviction moratorium by executive action. If the sides fail to reach an agreement by Friday, top lawmakers told CNBC Thursday that they expect a compromise to be hatched, but big differences still remain. Talks between negotiators ended Thursday evening without a breakthrough in sight as discussions edged closer to the Trump administration's Friday deadline for striking an agreement. White House officials criticized Democrats as uncompromising, while Democrats argued that the GOP failed to appreciate the severity of the recession. We're still considerable amount apart in terms of compromise that could be signed into law, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said in a meeting. And we're actually going to talk about that here just a little bit later on, so I'm going to cut this article at this point. But yeah, that's what we're seeing out of here. A little bit of uh, stimulus news, a little bit of spending other people's money, a little bit of war with China. And nobody knows how many jobs are going to be created over July and what the reports are going to look like. So a couple things to watch for. Hopefully you've got your stocks in the position where they're going to make the most money, but it's really hard to do that right now because nobody knows. Even the experts don't know. All right, let's move on to the top news story of the day and the reason that I had such a grotesque title in this particular episode here. So remember yesterday when we talked a bit about what was going on from the New York Attorney General and what it was that she thought she was going to do and what Twitter thought she was going to do. Because remember, the day before, it became legal for Deu uh, the New York uh, state government to go into Deutsche Bank and go pull every single record that they have on the Trump administration. And so, as soon as they did that, when the New York Attorney General came out and made her clickbaity title of, oh, well, we're going to have a press conference at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. We've got big news. Everybody over on Twitter said, oh, well, it's the president. They're going to go after the president. They're already prepping the SWAT team. They're going to go down to Washington, D.C. with handcuffs. They're going to arrest the president. Nobody's above the law. He's going to be out of the office. Ha, 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 ha. And that didn't happen. Instead, we got this news story here, and all the political left over on Twitter got the bluest balls in all of politics here. So, from NPR, and once again, we're not going to read NPR like this, even though that's how they talk on NPR. We're definitely not going to do that. We're going to read this in a normal voice because, I mean, people are listening to this on the road, either on the podcatcher or over on the live stream right now or on demand over on YouTube. And they'll r drive off the road. If somebody talks like this, they'll get put to sleep. 
So we'll talk about this normally here from NPR. New York Attorney General moves to dissolve the NRA after fraud investigation from Tim Mack. I wonder if anybody on the Instagram uh, heard that because, yeah, I leaned up to the microphone to do that but there, but my microphone doesn't feed my Instagram. That's uh, kind of weird here. All right, this was updated at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The Attorney General of New York took action Thursday to dissolve the National Rifle Association following an 18-month investigation that found evidence the powerful gun rights group is fraught with fraud and abuse. Attorney General Letitia James claims in a lawsuit filed th uh, Thursday that she found financial misconduct in the millions of dollars and that it contributed to a loss of more than $64 million over a three-year period. Uh, suit alleges that top NRA executives misused charitable funds for personal gain, awarded contracts to friends and family members, and provided contracts to former employees to ensure loyalty. Seeking to dissolve the NRA is the most aggressive sanction James could have sought against the not-for-profit organization, which James has jurisdiction over because it's registered in New York. James has a wide range of authorities relating to nonprofits in the state, including the authority to force organizations to cease operations or dissolve. The NRA is all but certain to contest it. One of the first things that I thought after I listened to this con uh, this conference, that was the word I was looking for, one of the first things that I thought was, okay, when does the bidding war start now to see where the NRA gets headquartered next because they're going to go somewhere else. The people love the NRA, and they're paving a bunch of money into the NRA, which I don't understand because the NRA is actually a cuck on gun rights, and that's all they do is go and take up lawsuits that they think is going to make them a bunch of money instead of actually fighting for Second Amendment rights. But, hey, that's my own difference with the NRA. I would much rather go over to the Gun Owners Association if I were to do something like that. But that's another story for another time here. People love the NRA, though, and they are going to continue to want to see an NRA, and I could see them picking up in a place like Wyoming or something else like that. So that's what we've got going on over there. The NRA said in a statement that the legal action was political, calling it a baseless premeditated attack on our organization and the Second Amendment freedoms and fights to defend we not only will not shrink from this fight, we will confront it and prevail. The NRA's influence has been so powerful that the organization went unchecked for decades. While top, uh, top executives funneled millions into their own pockets, James said, in a statement, the NRA is fraught with fraud and abuse, which is why today we seek to dissolve the NRA because no organization is above the law. James's complaint names the National Rifle Association as a whole, but also names four current and former NRA executives. Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre, General Counsel John Fraser, former Chief Financial Officer Woody Phillips, and former Chief of Staff Joshua Powell. So, yeah, I mean, this was an interesting listen. I sat down, I actually listened to the whole thing just in case. She came out and said, oh, and we're also going after the president. So, I didn't know what was going to happen off of this. I had no idea what was coming and I think like I said I think most of, the, of America thought that this was going to be the death nail that takes out President Trump and it wound up not being and we've got a couple more things to talk about on this topic because everybody had to weigh in yesterday on this whole thing so let's keep going down here I've got an opinion piece keep in mind that this is not an actual news guard piece this is from a news guard source but it is an op-ed over on Newsweek from John R. Lott Jr. 
New York abuses the legal system to target the NRA. So we'll just briefly go over this one here. Gun rights have never been more at stake than in this November's election, and Democrat politicians are now attempting to remove the NRA from the debate, at the very least. They want to run up the NRA's legal bills so they won't have funds left over for political campaigns. Going after a nonprofit's tax-exempt status because you disagree with its mission is a perversion of government power. Devoting taxpayer dollars to silencing political opponents should scare all of us, whether Democrat or Republican. New York AG Letitia James made a campaign promise to challenge the NRA's not-for-profit status and investigate their legitimacy. Without any evidence that it had done anything wrong, James vowed to single out the NRA. Attorneys general shouldn't have, uh, or shouldn't start rather, fishing expeditions against those who they disagree with politically, in the hopes that she can find some violation that they have committed. But this has become a consistent pattern for Democrats. This has been the approach they have followed against President Trump during his entire presidency. It's an abuse of office to prosecute a charity based on personal political biases, and it also shows that people need to be very skeptical of any claims that she eventually makes. The state of New York has been trying to bleed the NRA dry for years. But it's no coincidence that she's ramped up attacks right before the election. Shannon Watts, who runs Michael Bloomberg's Moms Against or Demand Action Group, has gloated that the lawsuits will cost the NRA $100 million. In her lawsuit, James highlights the fact that the NRA faced a financial loss of $64 million over the last three years, but given how much these legal costs dwarf those losses, that hardly seems to be the NRA's fault. Gun control activists don't want to debate. They would rather just prevent the other side from even participating in the discussion. I know this firsthand. I found that every town for gun safety, the Brady Campaign, and other organizations have an agreement not to debate me. Since most television shows want to present both sides in debates, that way, they believe they can keep me off the air. So we're going to stop it at this one here. But yeah, it does look like there is some political bent to this. And everybody knew that there was some political bent to this. Even the people that are for Letitia James right now know that there's some political bent to this. That this is not objective. That they are actually coming out and trying to push politics and inject it into this argument. So... Yeah, there's a couple things to watch up out of the here and some developing pieces that come out of this as well from Fox News. NRA fights back, files its own suit against New York Attorney General seeking to disband the organization. From Stephanie Pagonis. The National Rifle Association is fighting back against a lawsuit filed Thursday by New York's Attorney General by submitting its own civil suit against the state official, accusing her of defamation and violating its rights to free speech. The NRA's lawsuit was filed in the court, uh, federal court of New York and alleges Attorney General Letitia James made the political prosecution of the NRA a central campaign theme when she was running for the AG's office in 2018 and has not treated the association fairly since. Despite hopes that playing by the rules would procure a just outcome, the NRA has not been treated fairly by James's office. The 19-page suit states the New York Democratic uh, Party political machine seeks to harass, defund, and dismantle the NRA because of what it believes and what it says. The defamation allegations stem from James's public descriptions of the NRA as a criminal enterprise and a terrorist organization. James boasted she would strike foul blows against the NRA and pound the NRA into submission. She vowed that she would use the New York Attorney General's investigative and enforcement powers for the, uh, for the precise purpose of stanching political speech. Deadly propaganda. 
The lawsuit states she's begun to deliver on her campaign promises to retaliate against the NRA for constitutionally protected speech on issues that James opposes as New York Attorney General. James has regrettably succumbed to individual passions and individual malevolence. And then President Trump weighed in as well. So, yeah. I think, is that what Trump says? Yeah, it is. President Trump also slammed James' suit against the group, calling it a very terrible thing. I think the NRA should move to Texas and lead a very good and beautiful life. The best life. And I've told them that for a long time. I think they should move to Texas. Texas would be a great state, or another state of their choosing. But I would say that Texas would be a great place, and an appropriate place for the NRA. So, that's what we're seeing up out of this here. And like I said, the, the not-for-profit status and the new filing, the bidding war is going to be on. They're going to go to Wyoming, or Texas, or someplace else. But they're not going to take this line down. That one I can tell you for sure. As much as I disagree with the NRA, I do appreciate their... What's what's the word that they like to use? The chutzpah. I appreciate the effort that they do to come out and try and show face against people who would oppose them in any other fashion. Even if I think that they're weak on gun control and I think that they're just going to roll over once again as soon as they know that they can make money. But, hey... People like them, for whatever reason. I still see stickers for them in all sorts of truck windows all over Wisconsin. So, that's what we have off of this here. Another pushback here from the Republican AG Association. From the Daily Wire, Republican Attorneys General Association shreds New York AG abusing her power to target a political adversary. From Ryan Saavedra. The Republican Attorneys General Association slammed far-left New York Attorney General Letitia James in a statement on Thursday after James announced that she was going to try and destroy the NRA, saying that she was abusing her power by using the levers of government to go after political opponents. Republican Attorneys General Association Chairman Louisiana AG Jeff Landry released a statement in response to James's manipulation of our legal system for political gain. Lawless liberals have hit a new low in their pursuit of defunding the police, discarding the Second Amendment, and deterring our ability to protect ourselves, Landry wrote. The New York AG is shamefully abusing her power to uh, target a political adversary, the same way a St. Louis prosecutor did last month when she took away guns from citizens. Trying to protect themselves, this action is no different than what Democrats did during the shameful impeachment of President Trump, an attempt to use the levers of government to go after political opponents. From their endorsement of the defund the police movement to canceling our founding fathers and now canceling our founding principles, there has been a troubling pattern from the Democrat attorneys general in recent months. I don't know why I lost my place, but I apparently did. Landry continued, there it is. We must stop this madness. Fortunately for the American people, can read the tea leaves of this lawsuit. It's a partisan hit job aimed at empowering the mob and endangering law-abiding citizens who respect the Second Amendment. And people who will shoot back. Keep in mind that that's out there, too. The NRA responded to James's lawsuit with a 19-page civil lawsuit, noting that James made the political prosecution of the NRA a central campaign theme during her run for office. The New York AG's actions are an affront to democracy and freedom. This is unconstitutional, premeditated attack aimed 
at dismantling and destroying the NRA, the fiercest defender of America's freedom at the ballot box. For decades, NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre said in a statement, the NRA is well-governed, financially solvent, and committed to good governance. We're ready for the fight. Bring it on. You know, every time I see Wayne LaPierre's name, I think of the joke that uh, George Carlin said in a, in a little sketch that he had towards the end of his uh, vault, uh, vaunted and wonderful life. Because George Carlin was not a fan of the NRA or gun control activists or anything else like that. But, uh, yeah, he pointed out the fact that, uh, you know, if you're going to lead an organization of gun nuts, you would expect a guy to have a name like Chuck Steak. Biff Jones, something really tough and really angry sounding. Or even Charlton Heston for that matter. But, I mean, he, he did come out and say that the Wayne LaPierre name sounded kind of fruity. Now, I've never met Wayne. I have no idea, but it was just hilarious, the joke that he told off of this. If I wasn't going to get copyright struck for it, I would have actually put the video up into the stack here so we could listen to it. But I guarantee you that would get copyright hit over on YouTube. If we were just on DLive, it wouldn't matter. But, yeah. Over on YouTube, we would uh, definitely get taken down for that one. All right, and then I've got one last piece on this here because David Hogg decided he was going to weigh in on this as well. I am so happy that March for Our Lives filed a complaint with the New York Attorney General over a year and a half ago over their misuse of funds as nonprofit. Don't ever underestimate the power of pissed off teenagers at NRA. Yeah, this little fuckstick is. I don't know why he's still famous. Partially probably because shows like this keep making him famous. And Mackenzie over on uh, YouTube decided she was going to make uh, quite the statement about her uh, about him as well. So, yeah, there was a bunch of stuff going on with this here. And MTN Biker, which I'm guessing is Mountain Biker, was one of the responses there that I wanted to highlight on this as well. Because, uh, I mean, I disagree with the statement, but... He makes a good point either way. My only concern is that this is happening three months before the election will galvanize 2A nuts and everyone with the slingshot to get out and vote for Trump. I think she, uh, she should have waited until after the election results were in. Just my two cents. And, yeah, no, this was definitely election tactic. They're pulling out all the stops coming up into this coming election because they think that their new world order will be gone if they don't win this coming election. So they're doing everything that they can and yes, it will galvanize the people to, the especially the Trump people to go out and vote for Trump off of this. But as was pointed out in the previous article, one of the other things that this is going to do is it's going to tie up all kinds of legal fees into the NRA where they can't put them into political action campaigns. So that's what we're seeing up off of this here. Let's keep going from Politico. Biden. Latino community is diverse, unlike the African-American community. From Matthew Choi, Joe Biden said in remarks on Wednesday that the Latino community is incredibly diverse, unlike the black community. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly diverse attitudes about different things, Biden said. You go to Florida you find a very d different attitude about immigration than you do in Arizona, so it's a very diverse community. Biden made the comment during an interview hosted by the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and the National Association of Black Journalists. 
that was released in full on Thursday. His remarks on diversity were a response to a question from NPR supporter Lulu Garcia Navarro, who asked a question about whether Biden, the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, would engage with Cuba on differing immigration concerns between Cuban and Venezuelan Americans. Biden's campaign said the comment was meant to describe the diversity of political opinion among Latino Americans and was not a judgment on cultural diversity. If you look at the full video in the transcript, it is clear that the Vice President Biden was referring to the diversity of attitudes among Latinos from different Latin American companies. Simone Sanders, a senior Biden campaign advisor, said in a statement, The video is circulating is conveniently cut to make, his, or make this about racial diversity, but that's not the case. But only moments after his campaign responded to Politico on his interview, Biden again contrasted Latino and black Americans, this time explicitly on the topic of national and cultural origins. We can build an administration that reflects the full diversity of our nation. The full diversity of Latino communities, Biden said. Now, when I mean full diversity, unlike African-American communities, many other communities, you're from everywhere, from Europe, from the tip of South America, all the way to our border in Mexico and the Caribbean, in different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but all Latinos. Biden made those remarks during the Virtual National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials Conference. He eventually tweeted a thread further explaining what he meant by his comments later Thursday night. In no way did I mean to suggest the African-American community is a monolith, not by identity, not on issues, not at all, Biden wrote. Throughout my career, I've witnessed a diversity of thought, background, and sentiment within the African-American community. It's this diversity that makes our workplaces, communities, and a country a better place. My commitment to you is this. I will always listen. I'll never stop fighting for the African-American community, and I'll never stop fighting for a more equitable future. Still, President Trump's campaign was quick to attack Biden over his NAHJ, NABJ interview Thursday afternoon, saying it diminished the diversity of opinions among black voters and called, or calling it examples of condescending white liberal racism. Yep, the bigotry of low expectations. It's a real thing, folks. Something that you've got to look for, and Joe Biden is going to talk. It is definitely going to talk. Katrina Pearson, a Trump campaign advisor, said in a statement that the former vice president tells a group of black reporters that you all know that black people think alike. There's a reason Joe Biden can't count on the support of black voters, and it's because his plantation owner mentality. If, if, if you don't know by now who you're going to vote for in November, then you ain't black, I believe was the exact quote that he said. So, that's what we see up off of this. I liked, I was over on Twitter before I got started while I was gathering up some articles and I saw that Cat Turd over on Twitter put out a tweet that said, it's 8.13 a.m. Eastern Time, has Joe Biden said anything racist yet? Yeah, he, he talks. He says a bunch of stuff. Alright, let's keep going. From the Daily Wire. Debate Commission shuts down Trump campaign's request for an extra debate from Eric Quintanar. The Commission on Presidential Debates shut down the Trump campaign's request to either add an extra debate before the early first... Uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates shut down the Trump campaign's request to either add an extra debate before the first early voting ballots are cast or to move one of the three debates to the first week of September.
Trump raised the debate date issue last Friday during an interview on Fox News, in which he pointed out that the first debate is scheduled for late September. Why are we putting the first debate so late? The first debate should be, uh, be before the first, at least before the first ballots go out. And they have it a month later, almost a month later. It's ridiculous. In a letter to the debate commission on Wednesday, the Trump campaign argued the request was a matter of avoiding disenfranchising voters who should have the ability to see and hear the two major party candidates debate before they have ballots in hand. According to a copy obtained by the Wall Street Journal, I want to take a second here and do something I normally never do and reach out to the live chat during the live stream here because I do have a question based on what they are talking about over there. So they're talking about the New World Order in the live chat right now and I do have to question here. So which New World Order are you thinking of? White and black or red and black? Discuss amongst yourselves and we will catch back up with you after the show. In a letter to the debate commission on Wednesday, the Trump campaign argued the request of or was a matter of avoiding disenfranchising voters who should have the ability to see and hear the two major party candidates debate before they have ballots in hand, according to the copy obtained by the Wall Street Journal. But the commission seems to have taken issue with the campaign's suggestion that as many as 8 million American voters may start early voting before the first presidential debate is held on September 29th. There is a difference between ballots having been issued by a state and those ballots having been cast by voters who are under no compulsion to return their ballots before the debates. In 2016, when the debate schedule was similar, only 0.0069% of the electorate had voted at the time of the first debate, said the debate commission in its own letter responding to the Trump campaign. But they are continuing to go along here and push more and more mail-in voting and try and get it in early. I mean, you see campaigns all over Instagram that says, well, you have got to send your ballot in by October 14th or whatever the fuck the day is. So, yeah, they're absolutely pushing this. Absolutely 100% pushing for this. And I do believe that number's going to be higher off of this. I can't say that for sure because I don't have the crystal ball that the news pundits seem to have. But I do see there being more of the ballot in before the first debate ever happens. So, that's what we've got to see off of this. Let's keep going. From CNBC, continue without supporting. No, I will not turn my ad blocker for you, off for you. McConnell and Pelosi expect a coronavirus relief deal, but huge differences remain from Jacob Pramuk over at CNBC. The two most powerful lawmakers in Washington told, ooh, those are scary words right there. I got a shiver down my spine as soon as I said those words. The two most powerful lawmakers in Washington told CNBC on Thursday they believe Congress will strike the coronavirus relief agreement, but said major differences must be resolved during an increasingly bitter process. Exactly when that deal comes together, I can't tell you, but I think it'll be at some point in the near future, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on Squawk on the Street. Speaking to CNBC shortly after McConnell, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also said she expects an agreement to boost an economy and healthcare system devastated by the pandemic. Negotiators have struggled to craft a bill that could pass both chambers of Congress as Democrats and Republicans try to hash out a bevy of disputes 
The sides have to decide on how to extend extra federal unemployment insurance, continue a moratorium on evictions from federally backed housing, help schools educate students safely, and offer relief to cash-strapped and state and local governments. Pelosi and Schumer have repeatedly cited progress after a series of meetings with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and Chief of Staff Meadows, but they have failed to reach an accord. The four officials plan to meet again at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, which was last night. NBC News reported. Will we find a solution? We will, Pelosi told CNBC. Will we have an agreement? We will. So that's what we're seeing up out of here. It looks like they are going to come out and spend more of your money giving it away to people that have been uh, done with this. And, I mean, there are, there are both sides to what's going on here. First off, just stop artificially closing the economy if you really want to help people out. That's going to be the best thing to do. But because of the fact that most of your state governors, under direction of Congress, have shut down their economies and said that you're not allowed to go to work, and put a lot of people out of work because of it there. There are other arguments to go to the fact that, yes, they do need to try and fix this and do this. I mean, Shapiro comes out and says it all the time. Well, gang, this is this is what the government has to do because they drove an F-150 through your house and now they have to pay for the repairs of your house. And I agree with that statement, but once again, the government doesn't have the money to do that. And the American people are entrepreneurs. They will re rebuild themselves. Without government intervention, they'll bitch about it for a long time, but they will rebuild themselves as long as you get the government out of the way. But this whole thing of artificially holding the government down is going to continue the damage. It's going to drive that F-150 even deeper into your house, as Shapiro likes to cite. So, no, absolutely. And yes, just let us keep our own money. Taxation is theft anyway. And income tax. You'll fix a lot of things in a hurry. And you're going to see a lot of people realize exactly how much they are paying in taxes. Because they have no idea. They just look for that check at the end of the year. Is all that they do. And a lot of people are going to be pissed about that come next year when they, when it's $1,200 lighter than it usually is. Because they don't realize that this was an advance. It wasn't actually a stimulus or just free money. It was an advance on your next year's tax return. I know. I read the, I read the act. I know what this was. All right, let's keep going. Rioter storm Portland suburb throw paint on an elderly woman, harass another using a walker from Ryan Saavedra. Rioters again returned to the Portland Police Department's East Precinct Thursday night, which is a residential area, where they doused an elderly woman with paint and harassed another who was using a walker. Once again, the Portland Police Department was forced to declare a supposed protest an unlawful assembly after assessing the intent of the rioters was to vandalize or attempt to burn down the precinct. The Portland Police Department tweeted out a photo of the elderly woman whom the rioters doused with paint and noted in a subsequent tweet that they incorrectly stated that she was the woman using a walker when in fact it was another elderly woman who was present. <sighs> These people have no fucking shame. Portland Tribune reporter Zane Sparling took videos of the incident that showed the rioters aggressively confronting the two women and showed the woman covered in paint. Journalist Andy Ngo further highlighted 
The hostile actions toward the two women writing an older woman tried to stop Antifa rioters from continuing their attack on the Portland Police East Precinct tonight. She stood in front of them and they dumped some white liquid all over her and cursed her out. No edit, Antifa militant stops an elderly woman from putting out a fire they started at the Portland Precinct or Police East Precinct. The video showed the rioter touching the elderly woman as she tried to put out a fire using a fire extinguisher. Somebody's going to get an itchy trigger, uh, trigger finger off of this, whether it's police, whether it's Antifa, but they're, they're pushing as far as they can. They're looking to see just how far they can push this out of this because they finally got rid of the federal agents, and pff, it turned out that they had no intention of stopping. They just wanted the federal agents out of the way. So they're going to burn that city down. People are going to move out of that area, and they're going to go to the rest of the country because they can't be expected to keep safe anymore. So, yes, they're moving out into the suburbs as well. They don't dare do that here in uh, inland because they would be met with a lot of avid hunters in the middle of the country. But, hey, in Portland, everyone's pretty much disarmed anyway. So, hey, just let it happen. All right, let's keep going. Portland mayor condemns rioters for attempting to commit murder from Bree Stimson over at Fox News. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler Thursday evening condemned the actions of rioters who attempted to set fire to a police precinct and blocked the exits while officers were inside. When you commit arson with an accelerant in an attempt to burn down a building that's occupied by people you have intentionally trapped inside, you are not demonstrating. You are attempting to commit murder, Wheeler said in a news conference with Portland Police Chief Chuck Lovell. Don't think for a moment that if you're participating in this activity, you are not being a prop for the re-election campaign of Donald Trump, because you absolutely are, he said. You're creating the B-roll film that will be used in ads nationally to help Trump during his campaign. If you don't want to be part of that, then don't show up. Oh, he's using the old reverse psychology on this. That's interesting. I wonder how well that's going to work. The riot was declared Wednesday evening when agitators descended upon the Portland Police Bureau's East Precinct building. Spray painted over security cameras, broke a glass door with a 2 by 4 lit a fire using an accelerant, and threw fireworks and other objects at officers, according to Fox 12 in Portland. Police said that a truck also attempted to run over officers. The front door of the uh, precinct were barricaded before the fire was started, with more than 20 officers and civilian employees inside. Police said, according to Fox 12. Officers used tear gas to disperse the rioters, and at least eight people were arrested. A federal court order bars police from using tear gas unless a riot is declared. I believe the city staff could have died last night, Wheeler said. I cannot and I will not tolerate that. This is not peaceful protest. This is not advocacy to advance reforms. Rioters also vandalized and broke into Portland's Police Association Tuesday night. Wheeler also urged peaceful protesters to avoid gatherings that could turn destructive or violent, according to Oregon Live. If you're a nonviolent demonstrator and you don't want to be part of it, intentional violence, please stay away from these areas, Wheeler said. Our community must say that this violence is not Portland, that these actions do not reflect our values, and these crimes are distracting from reform, not advancing. Yeah, no, this is completely out of your hands at this point, Ted Wheeler, and it's, it might be time to come back and say, hey, hey, federal agents, come back in here because we need help. We need National Guard because these fucksticks aren't going to stop, and they're not going to stop. They're just going to continue to do this over and over again. And, I mean, this is your own fault for standing out there with the rioters and getting that photo up in front of the federal courthouse. 
you thought this was going to help your election campaign, but this has wound up helping everybody else's other than yours. I have no pity for you, Ted Wheeler. You made your bed, now sleep in it. But that's what we have on that one here. I got a couple more here before we read the names of everybody who chatted in the live chat. Well, maybe more than a couple, but guys, if you're out there in the live chat or if you're over on Facebook, head on over into the YouTube, the DLive, or the Twitch chat. Get your names in there so I can thank you properly for coming in and chatting with us throughout the week and especially today. So head on over in there. Let's keep going from Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton's opening statement and testimony before Congress, oversight of nonprofit organizations, a case study on the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, that was another one that uh, came up with this whole NRA thing that happened yesterday was the fact that a lot of people were saying, hey, why don't you look into the Clinton Foundation? Which I'm sure Letitia James doesn't want to commit suicide, so that's probably why she's not looking into the Clinton Foundation. But Clinton Foundation was trending generically with 60, 70, 80,000 tweets throughout the day yesterday. And of course they tried to artificially put Trump Foundation up in there with 9,000 tweets, but that's what we saw for that yesterday. Let's see what Judicial Watch has, has to say. This is by Tom Fitton. Good afternoon, I'm Tom Fitton, presidential, or president of Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch is a conservative, uh, conservative nonpartisan educational foundation dedicated to promoting transparency, accountability, and integrity in government, politics, and the law. We are the nation's largest and most effective government watchdog group. Judicial Watch is without a doubt the most active Freedom of Information Act requester and litigator operating today. Thank you Chairman Meadows and Congressman Connolly for allowing me to testify on this important uh, topic. It is no secret Judicial Watch has a long-standing concerns with the Clinton's ethics and respect for the rule of law. So it is with some skepticism that we greeted Hillary Clinton's promises 10 years ago to avoid conflicts of interest with her foundation and her husband's business activities as Secretary of State. At the time, even CNN reported that Bill Clinton's complicated global business interests could present or present rather future conflicts of interest that result in unneeded headaches for the incoming commander-in-chief. To reassure President Obama and senators of both parties that she would be above reproach, Mrs. Clinton sent a January 5, 2009 letter to State Department-designated agency ethics official James H. Thesson stating, for the duration of my appointment as secretary, if I am confirmed, I will not participate personally and substantially in any particular matter involving specific parties in which the William J. Clinton Foundation or the Clinton Global Initiative is a party or represents a party. Additionally, the Clintons promised that President Clinton's speeches and business activities would undergo a State Department ethics review and that the Clinton Foundation would disclose its donors online and agree to significant restrictions on support from foreign governments. Judicial Watch had zero confidence in these promises, so we began immediately monitoring the ethics process for the Clintons and submitted a Freedom of Information Act request in 2011. The Clinton State Department leadership ignored our FOIA request and we sued after waiting for two years in 2013. The lawsuit produced documents showing the State Department rubber-stamped President Clinton's and the Clinton Foundation's ethics review requests. Judicial Watch detailed its findings in a report with the Washington Examiner in 2014. 
So yes, in the eyes of going after the NRA now at this point, yes, the FOIA requests are coming out and they do want to see someone go after the Clinton Foundation as well. And I kind of do too, because I do think that there are some secrets in there that maybe we should be paying attention to. There are some things in there that I think that we should see. So that's what we see going on up out of this. Let's keep going on down the line here. I've got one here archived from the Epic Times because they also only want you if you're a subscriber or if you have an ad blocker, they want you to turn it off for them. And I intend to do neither of those things. So let's keep going here. U.S. judge requests an Assange testimony in a case brought by parents of slain DNC staffer. Now, this came to me out of the Discord from Midget B. He gave me a Gateway Pundit article. I found it in the Epic Times, which is green check verified. And this is what they have to say about that. From Ivan Penchukov. A federal magistrate judge in New York requested assistance from a UK court on August 5th in obtaining testimony from WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange for a US civil lawsuit brought against Fox News and others by the parents of slain Democratic National Committee voter data director Seth Rich. U.S. Magistrate Judge Sarah Netburn requested the international assistance in accordance with the Hague Convention. In the proper exercise of its authority, this court has determined that the evidence cannot be secured except by the intervention of the English courts and that assistance from the English courts would serve to further the international interests of justice and judicial cooperation, the judge wrote in a memorandum for the senior master of the Royal Courts of Justice. Joel and Mary Rich, Seth Rich's parents, sued Fox News on March 2018, nearly a year after the news network published and retracted an article titled, Seth Rich, Slain DNC Stafford Had Contact with WikiLeaks Say Multiple Sources. The Riches claimed the network inflicted intentional and emotional distress on them by slandering their son. The second was, or the case was dismissed rather, in August 2018, but the Second Circuit Court of Appeals overturned the dismissal more than a year later. The case has since entered the discovery phase, and the judge determined that Assange's testimony is crucial for determining the central dispute between the parties, whether the article was a sham, as the richest claim, or substantially true, as maintained by Fox News. Mr. Assange, as founder of WikiLeaks, is exceptionally suited to provide testimony that will be highly relevant to these issues. Therefore, Fox News, by and through this letter of request issued by the district court, is formally requesting the testimony of Mr. Assange for use at trial, the request to the UK court states. The attorney for the Richards did not reply to a request for comment. So, yeah, they want to get uh, his statement in and even extradite him at this point, which brings him out over into other judicial muddy, murky waters here. And this is a mess, folks. This whole thing with Assange has been a mess from the beginning, and yes, we need a lot more transparency in the government. And yes, Julian Assange did help to do some of that, but we need a lot more out of this. And this is going to open up a whole mess of diplomacy, too. Because, yeah, you know as soon as he steps foot on U.S. soil, they're going to have him in cuffs for other things, and he might get arc incited as well so there's so much here to watch here nobody's talking about this other than the epic times i looked to see if there was a cnn or a fox news or well, i'm sure fox news couldn't because it's a conflict of interest but if there was a cnn or a new york times or a washington post or something else like this on this and no the only people that are talking about this are the guardian 
and the Epoch Times. Or the Gateway Pundit, rather, and the Epoch Times, not the Guardian. I don't use the Guardian because they're not Green Check verified either. So that's what we're going to see off of this here, and there's something else going on there. Let's keep going. From the New York Post, I got a, a pair of those back-to-back -back here. Meet Kanye West's presidential running mate, Michelle Tidball, from Emily Jacobs. The world may be long familiar with rap superstar Kanye West, but not many know of his vice presidential running mate, Michelle Tidball. Tidball is a 57-year-old spiritual coach who, like West, lives in a ranch in Cody, Wyoming, and has a deep religious background. Since she was tapped as the billionaire sneaker mogul's VP pick, multiple pages from Tidball's website for her nonprofit Bible study programs called Abundant Ministries have been taken down. Those pages included her biography, in which she says she pursued God since she was six months old, when she said she was slipping away into crib death before a higher power visited her in a hospital tent and saved her life. Tidball says she aims to help people get unstuck in their lives by using biblical principles and wisdom. The website also says Tidball served as an executive director of Bright Futures Mentoring Program, a Cody-based student mentorship program. My heart has always been to walk in maturity and to bring others maturity to be about his business and see the completion of things he mandated before the foundations of the world. I look forward to bringing the word with experience and practical counsel on walking as mature adopted sons manifested upon this earth, her now removed biography closed. Tidball touted on the now delegated page that she has various degrees in mental health and criminal justice. The only known degree that she has, however, is a bachelor's in psychology from the University of Wyoming in 2003. According to TMZ, her biography stated that she worked as a mental health therapist for 10 years before shifting into life coaching. So, that's what we're seeing out here. Yes, he's going forward with this. Actually, from what I understand, Kanye is supposed to be on the ballot in Wisconsin. So, I may actually get a chance to vote for him. And I mean, I'm not voting for anybody else who's going to be on the ballot. Green Party. Buck, no. Jorgensen? Could still be sold on, but as of right now, that's going to be a, a soft no for me. Trump? Who renewed the Patriot Act? Hell no. Unless he EOs away the Patriot Act, then we can talk. If he EOs that away and gets the troops out of Afghanistan, we'll talk. Even if he gets the troops out of Afghanistan, I'd be willing to hear him out on why he felt it politically expedient at least to re-sign the Patriot Act, but I, that that's a hard point for me. That's a hard sticking point for me. Or Joe Biden. I got hairy legs and I met Corn Pop in 1955. Joe Biden. Hell no. Kanye? Maybe. I don't know enough about him to say a definitive yes, but maybe. I don't know, but that's what we're seeing up out of this here. And he actually does have a running mate. He is going to go through with this. All right. Let's keep going here from the New York Post once again. Trump issues order banning U.S. companies from transacting with TikTok parent company from Kenneth Garger. Yeah, we read a bit about this earlier on when we were looking at stocks. President Trump on Thursday signed an executive order banning transactions beginning in 45 days between U.S. companies and the Chinese parent company of social media app TikTok. The app may be used for disinformation campaigns that benefit the Chinese Communist Party, and the United States must take aggressive action against the owners of TikTok to protect our national security, 
Trump said in the order. Trump earlier this week vowed to ban the wildly popular video sharing app if Beijing-based tech company ByteDance fails to reach a deal with Microsoft or another U.S. company by September 15th. The president's order goes into effect on September 20th and says any American company who violates it could face sanctions. Also on Thursday, Trump issued another order at the same time frame banning U.S. company dealings with another Chinese-owned social media app, WeChat. WeChat and its sister app in Weixin in China are widely used messaging app. So, that's what we're seeing up out of here. Got a couple more here, so if you want to get your name read in the live chat here at the end of this here, make sure you get it on up in, because Friday is the date that we thank everybody who did that here. All right, from Twitchy. So this is obviously not a green check verified uh, article, but I did want to get it up in here because it was so ridiculously stupid I wanted to read it out loud. Felt like I was dying. Alyssa Milano announces she tested positive for COVID antibodies, but thread shows her timeline doesn't quite add up. No author, of course. Alyssa Milano announced that she has tested positive for COVID-19 antibodies. People Magazine even covered it. She, uh, let's read some of this here. However, Milano wrote that she continued to live with lingering symptoms like vertigo, stomach abnormalities, irregular periods, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, zero short-term memory, and general malaise for the past four months and decided to take another antibody test at a lab where blood is drawn to be sure of her diagnosis. I am positive for COVID antibodies, she shared, posting a screenshot of her latest test results. I had COVID-19, Milano went on to explain, that she's going public with her experience to let fan knows, or fans know that our testing system is flawed and we don't know the real numbers. We don't know the real numbers, which means that that death count, that statistic, that percentage statistic is way, way lower. Way lower than what they're trying to say it is. They're trying to say it kills 1% of people maybe even 2% of people, and I think it's going to be like a tenth or even a hundredth of a percent once we realize exactly how many people have had this. First, we can see from her Instagram post that this picture was taken on April 2nd, 2020, after she'd been sick for two weeks. She lost nine pounds, horrible headaches, shortness of breath like an elephant was on her chest, no word on why her glasses are big enough to fit an elephant. So by her account, she was sick from March 19th, through at least the date of the picture, wouldn't it be cool if there was a video on Twitter showing her condition at the time? Absolutely. Wouldn't it uh, be better if there was were two, indubitably, three? Be still my beating heart. So yeah, she's coming out here after wearing the crocheted face mask that absolutely did nothing. And yeah, she was, at the time, that she was absolutely sick and probably spreading it through the crocheted face mask. If that's true. So yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on here. I don't believe a word out of this woman here. She's just an activist. She's trying to sell books. She's trying to remain relevant because uh, Unsatiable, or Insatiable rather, got uh, taken off of Netflix. Because nobody liked any of the actors being activists in the show for whatever reason otherwise. But yeah, she is toxic to any brand that she touches and nobody wants to touch her with a 10-foot pole. So now she has to stay relevant again. So we're going to move on off of that because there isn't a lot of information in here. All right, this one here comes to me courtesy of Britt from the Freckles and Britt show over on Twitter. And I just had to put this up in here. 
And we also have to say goodbye to the Instagram audience at this point here because we are on 15 seconds remaining for the Instagram stream. So if you're catching this on Instagram Live or in the future, head on over to that link up in my bio and go head over to the YouTube channel and chat in live chat so I can thank you properly at the end of the week. Take care. All right, let's keep going. Lithium-laced drinking water could curb suicide rates, scientists say. No. No, 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 no. No. You are not putting more psychotropic chemicals in our water. You already have fluoride in there, and I filter the shit out of my water to make sure that none of that comes through to me, but no. No, no, no. But from Hannah Sparks, let's see what the justification is of this. For communities with a low rate of depression and suicide, there may be something in the water, according to a new study. A comprehensive analysis of findings from previous studies has revealed that regions where the public drinking water contains a high level of naturally occurring lithium, a mineral most used often for the treatment of depression and bipolar disorder, also boasts a lower rate of suicide than other areas. The review included all prior research on the effects of lithium, as well as regional water samples and suicide data from 1,286 locales in Austria, Greece, Italy, Lithuania, UK, Japan, and the US. Naturally occurring lithium in drinking water may have the potential to reduce the risk of suicide and may possibly help in mood stabilization, particularly in populations with relatively high suicide rates and geographical areas with greater in populations with greater range of lithium, rather, I missed the wrong line, concentration in the drinking water, the authors concluded in their report. Denoted as Li on the periodic table, the element is found in various concentrations in crops, rocks, soil, and groundwater, thus how it seeps into our water supply. In a statement on the King's College London website, lead author and chairman of epidemiology and public health at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, Anya Mimon, said it's promising that higher levels of trace lithium in drinking water may exert an anti-suicidal effect and have the potential to improve community and mental health. The results published in the British Journal of Psychiatry are also consistent with the findings in clinical trials that lithium reduces suicide and related behaviors in people with a mood disorder, said Alan Young, a professor at King's College Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Neuroscience. Dubbed the magic ion by some researchers, lithium was renowned among homeopaths for its therapeutic properties long before doctors began dabbling with the elements. Lithua Springs, or Lithia rather springs, located in the eponymous Georgia town, get its, uh, gets its name from lithium enriched waters. For thousands of years, it has served as a sacred healing site for people of the Cherokee tribe. Throughout the mid-19th century, lithium was added to a variety of products that claimed to treat various ailments, including asthma and hangovers. In 1929, the cure-all was included in the original recipe for 7-Up. Later, as Australian psychiatrist Joe, or John Cade was pioneering research into lithium as a treatment for mania from 1948 to 49, the U.S. government banned the substance from store shelves. It wasn't until 1970 that the alkali metal was approved by the Food and Drug Administration as a preventative measure for patients who suffer recurrent manic episodes suppressing severe depression, impulsivity, aggression, and violent behaviors in people with various mood disorders. 
So, it's not so bad that they put fluoride in your city water, but yes, now they want to put lithium in as well because it might help you. And that's because we found it in various other places. I don't know what you guys think about this. I've got one more article to read, and I'm sure that I will be able to read what you guys think about this after I finish up talking about Jake Paul. But yeah, I'm very, very interested in how people feel about this because I am a hard no on this. 100% hard no. But we're going to move on and do something a little bit general interest here. Then we're going to thank everybody who came in and chatted and get the hell out of here. So, from TMZ. Man, I am using a lot of these guys lately. But from TMZ. Jake Paul, Calabasas Crib raided, gun seized. Raid involves Scottsdale protests. No author. And this is a couple timelines here. It appears most certain Wednesday's raids in Calabasas and Vegas have to do with Jake's uh, Scottsdale arrest. Armani Izadi, a longtime collaborator and former friend of Jake's, owns the Vegas home that was raided by the FBI. Izadi was also arrested with Jake in Scottsdale. 2.08 p.m., the FBI has just played its hand partially and revealed that the raid is somehow in connection with Jake getting arrested in Scottsdale. During a George Floyd protest, the FBI tells TMZ, the FBI is investigating allegations of criminal acts surrounding the incident at Scottsdale Fashion Square in May of 2020. Jake was in the mall and arrested for trespass and was charged with a criminal misdemeanor, but the city attorney has dropped the case. It appears to be at the behest of at the FBI, and more serious investigation has taken uh, precedence. Uh, 12.37 p.m., it appears the FBI have seized weapons from Jake Paul's Calabasas home, firearms specifically. This based on aerial footage of the scene from ABC7, and it looks like, yes, we see them walking out with some stuff. Law enforcement officials were spotted walking down Jake's driveway with what appear to be rifles and perhaps shotguns in hand. Two per person from what we can see. By the way, a second raid happened nearly 300 miles away from the one that was just executed at Jake Calabasas' home in Sin City, no less, at a house that's tangentially connected to J.P. Federal agents dispend, uh, descended on the famous graffiti mansion in Las Vegas Wednesday, which is said to be owned by Armani Azadi, who at one point was good buddies with Jake. In fact, the two of them were seen hanging out as recently as early July, getting into shenanigans together. So, apparently this was going to be more than just a peaceful protest, that they see a bunch of guns and a bunch of other things that are going on here. Now, I'm not 100% hurt... Uh, sure who Jake Paul is. I know he's an early wave YouTuber from the edgy period back when it was still all 480p and you couldn't get anything higher than that but I don't know that much about him as well except it appears that he appears to be an activist that's going to be in favor of the George Floyd protests and maybe trying to push them into being a riot. I don't know. But this made you think here because they're going out and they're raiding the homes of people who are out and rioting and everything else. And yes, uh, according to this, at 9.01 a.m. Pacific time, whatever the feds were looking for at Jake Paul's home apparently required a lot of backup and manpower because a small militia left his pad in armored trucks. So something big happened here. I'm not sure what it was. I'm sure that it's going to come out in the near future if it doesn't get buried up by a bunch of other stuff. But that's all I got for news for the uh, week here. So let's make sure that we give thanks properly to the people who need to have thanks given to them. We didn't really have a lot of chat turnout on Instagram this week. Hopefully that'll start to grow as we uh, 
move on and I grow my profile and some of the stuff over there. I just changed it over to a business account, so that might help me to build up a bigger Instagram profile. But for today, we had Ekel Ragnar. Thanks for coming in. That's a new name. I haven't seen that one here before. Lord Simpington. I love that name. That's actually kind of hilarious. Uh, any COVID hoaxers in the chat? Well, I'm kind of a COVID hoaxer. I, I know the disease is real, but I don't believe that it is exactly what they've built it up to be. I do not support the NWO agenda, uh, but I was a red and blacker. I was a Wolfpack guy when I was younger, and there was still NWO and WCW. I remember those days. We've got Sully Blue in the house with a sticker party going on. Let's see who else. We got Sergeant Peterson. We caught a wild Sergeant Peterson today. Liberty or death? Liberty. But if I can't have liberty, put me out of my misery. Uh, we got a Princess Cassandra 97. Was not appreciative of the fact that on my show, on morning show, I don't read chat, unfortunately. If you're seeing this now, come on back tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. And I will read all the chat that you want because Saturday is your time. Saturday is the chatter's time. So come on in and uh, check us out over there. That'll be Ed Talk tomorrow. I will answer most questions. If anything is overtly racist, I won't answer it up on the air. So come on over and check that out. But sorry the show wasn't to your liking. But that's, it's my show and it's how I get through the news and make sure that everyone can get off to work in time. Uh, we've got a dab academist is over here. If Biden is not fit to debate Trump, how the hell can he lead the country? Well, you know, he might get sick from COVID if we let them out, if we let him out of his basement, you know, don't you know? I love how they keep calling Trump a bunker baby and they haven't let Biden out of his basement in four months. Pretty much since he clinched the nomination, they haven't let him out of the basement. And they keep calling Trump bunker baby. Because the Secret Service says you have to get down here now because they're going to break down the White House doors. Uh, let's see. Looks like, oh, we got uh, we caught a wild seawall right at the end. At the very end, we caught ourselves a wild seawall. All right, and thanks for coming in and checking us out as well, seawall. Come back, everybody, and check us out tomorrow. Well, I'll sell that here after I get done with the rest of the chat. So on Thursday, we, this was a slow week for chat this week, I will say that. But on Thursday, we had a uh, Sully Blue, we had Ron Helton, who I'm surprised I haven't seen so far today. We had a Dev of Cannabis 420 over there yesterday. On Wednesday, we had a Sully Blue, a Seawall 728, and a Reaganomics 1984. And you guys must have said something that really pissed YouTube off because they actually shut down my live chat for Monday and Tuesday's episode. I had to go back through the DLive uh or not the DLive, but the, uh, what the fuck am I thinking of? The Restream chat to go and find who chatted on those two days. On uh, Tuesday, we had a Ron Helton. We had Sully Blue. We had Wyatt from the Breakdown with Birkenhoff over there. And we had, it looks like a Twitch streamer or a Twitch uh, chatter that said, Northmost, but the O's in Northmost were both X's. I think I pronounced that right. I think that was where you were going with that. And on Monday, we had Blippity Blop, my good friend from over across the pond. We had Ron Helton. We had Miami, 1984. We had a Sully Blue. We had SJW Madness, who was throwing around some dissent over everything that I was saying. And we had a Charles Darby. And we also, on Monday, 
had a nice little attack of bots that came in as well. So, hey, thanks for coming in. No, I'm not interested in buying followers. I'd rather have the organic ones and grow them that way. But, hey, thanks for coming in there and thinking of me anyway, even though you really can't think of anything because you were robots to begin with. But that's what we saw out of the chat here. So that's where we're going to call it for the day. Thanks, everybody who came in and chatted throughout the week. And we hope to see you again. We will be back here. I will be back here. I don't know if you'll be back here. I hope you'll be back here at 5.30 Central Time tomorrow afternoon to answer all the questions for anybody who wanted to chat in the live chat because tomorrow is Ed Talk Day. We do it every other weekend, and tomorrow is Ed Talk Weekend. So we'll be back here for that. I'm looking forward to that and seeing what you guys have to ask me. There was, This was a slow news week, so maybe we won't have as much news, and maybe we'll have some personal interest stuff. Quick reminder that I will not read anything overtly racist on the air because I'm streaming on YouTube. And I don't really believe in any of that stuff anyway. So be aware, be respectful off of that, and be respectful to your fellow chatters. And we'll see if we can go a little bit long this time. If I get 20 people in the chat tomorrow, I will go an hour and a half tomorrow. That's my promise to you. That's my pledge to you tomorrow. I will go 90 minutes if I can get 20 of you guys in the chat chatting with me tomorrow across all the platforms. Or you can come back with us on Monday because on Monday we will be back with more contemporary talking about the news that happened over the weekend and the Red Ned Show. And make sure you tune in to the Red Ned Show at 5.30 p.m. Central Time on Monday because we will have a interview, a pre-recorded interview, but an interview with Harvey McLeod talking about DACA because she knows a bit more about the immigration process than either of us do. So we're going to get some answers for that. So come on in and check us out over there. We're actually recording it tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that, seeing what questions come out and what good conversation comes from that. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody there and talking about it as well. So come and check that out. Otherwise, we will see you back here on Monday for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.